Welcome to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey. I'm honored to share with you the philosophy that has underscored my personal and professional life and explore how osteopathy truly is for the health of all things. I see these principles in action every day in my varied roles as physician, parent, athlete, writer, musician, coach, and entrepreneur, and hope they will light the way for the path to your best health. Please note that while I am a physician, this podcast is intended to share general information and encourage discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. The content provided in this podcast and in any linked materials is not intended and should not be construed as medical advice. Thank you for joining me for episode six of season five of This Osteopathic Life. It has been a time and it has been some time since we last met here on the airwaves. And I could look at all the whys, where's, how's, and simply am with what is. Acceptance has been a big part of this journey, this timeline, and I do have to notice <laughs> that the last episode was entitled Last, and maybe, right, if our thoughts create our results and that energetic intention is there, perhaps next should be the name of this one. And really what I'm looking at are foundations. As I explore what has been happening and looking through, actually, let's go through the series of the titles of the podcast. I have this in front of me as I was making sure I was on the correct numeric number for the episode. And I've changed in the now, okay, being where we are, then fear, failure, and flaws, working through that, nothing, right? And we talked about that one, no thing, and lots of plays on words, but just thinking about that, winning, okay, lull, and last, right? So we see the energetics that are there, and those are all pretty accurate, And we might classify them as problematic, as dark, as negative, but instead just seeing them for what they are. And also noticing that life has those phases. We have those down times, the quiet times. We're entering into a season, right? Shorter days, longer nights, increased number of hours of darkness. We're about to have the daylight savings times weekend here. There's probably too many S's on all of those words. And it'll allow for the mornings to be a little bit lighter, but then the evening comes on quicker, right? The dark happens faster in those later day hours. And so there are seasons for that, unless you're equatorial and then you get this beautiful amount of sunlight balanced with nighttime each and every day, all year round. And thinking about foundations here today and the context to which this came up for me is in music. And so music has been a foundational part of my life for as long as I can remember, really, I can look back to some early moments of playing a little keyboard and singing, of course, usually in the church setting in the earliest days of my life. From the age of seven, formally, music has been a part of my life. And I had the great honor and privilege of being introduced to string instruments, both the violin and the piano first. And then I converted from violin to cello and then relinquished the piano, had to choose one. And that's okay. Sometimes I lament that I wasn't able to complete both and even look at different sliding door moments in my life when music could have been more. But it really was an integral part of my growing up years, particularly from that year seven, age seven, all the way through the end of high school and into college. And then there was a pause, right? And then there's been a rejuvenation of sorts in these last, let's say, 10 years or so. And in this moment, you know, identify as a cellist. And it was interesting. I was having a conversation with someone talking about musical background and how, you know, people have played in the past and they bring it through. And in the moment, I am playing more violin as I am joining in a local group here and playing with my daughter as her stand partner, which is its own beautiful and amazing thing. And I said in conversation, you know, I shared first my history of playing the cello and being a cellist. 
And I said, I don't identify as a violinist. And she said, oh, no, no, you're not, but you play the cello. And, you know, she was misconstruing the different stories and all those different threads. In this moment, I thought, oh, what? I do absolutely identify as a cellist. (laughs) I just don't identify as a violinist, but I can make do, you know, I can play decently well, you know, read the music and bring some musicality to the experience on violin. It was really fascinating to me. And I didn't make any out loud corrections, but it was more so I was somewhat surprised, but also not. But just to hear that response in my mind and really in my body, there was this recoil when the comment was made, oh no, you're not a cellist, you know, but you, you can still play. And I thought, no, no, <laughs> I absolutely still am. And that's really interesting. And as I read the intro to this osteopathic life, and we talked about the different identifiers that have been in that paragraph from day one, episode one, season one, and physician is the leading one there. A physician, parent, athlete, writer, musician, coach, and entrepreneur. And we might shuffle them around. If we reprioritize them for which takes the most precedence, I'd probably put parent first on there. And then I would put coach in there. And coach could take a diff- couple different meanings, right? Coaching professionally, life coaching. And also I have been doing more coaching for students, for children, for teens in that way. Entrepreneur probably would move up next. And I'd probably even then put musician in there. And this is interesting because now we have physician and writer left, right? And we're toggling between these two. And I have restarted. I have some blog articles, installments, episodes. What's the right? <laughs> Just blogs themselves. Uh, what do you name those different uh, components, pieces of a blogging? Writer and physician. And it might feel uh, problematic to move physicians so far down the list. But if I think about it as frequency with which I'm engaging in the activity specific to that title or role, it really is, right? That is how I am moving through those different roles. And you know what? It's okay. Because all of them are parts of me, are things that I'm doing, and it's natural, right, for some to take precedence. And at this era of my life, borrowing from Taylor Swift and for all of those in medicine who really thought Eris meant (laughs) the application process and not those different zones and uh, lifespans within our cycle of living on this planet, I'm with you. But parent really feels appropriately at the core and at the foundation. And our parent, of course, to the three children that I am enormously grateful to have the great honor, privilege, joy to participate with in life. And also that idea of parenting myself, there's a lot of work there, especially in the trauma recovery process, that reparenting that emerges. And then also to see how it has been to be parented in my life by my parents, my mother, my father, and also siblings. We've had a different role in the course of our lives due to the age differences that existed and also parenting relationships that emerge in different ways with my nieces and nephews and in different engagements, right? Friends of children and other people who I have mentored. And we could obviously put very specific titles on those roles, right? Aunt versus, you know, boss versus mentor. Uh, and as well, there's a parenting element within there. But it feels very appropriate for that one to be moved first. And I don't need to reorient them in that paragraph but just relating to them, knowing them, and feeling how it feels in my body to have that said to me, right? Well, of course you're not a cellist, but you play the cello. (laughs) I identify as a cellist. And just seeing that and knowing 
that sometimes it's when it's challenged or when it's taken away or it has revoked even temporarily that you might light up and say, actually, yeah, I really am this. And I had a beautiful discussion with a dear friend today about clinical practice and missing that aspect of physicianship. And I also had a moment of being in the hospital to have some labs drawn um, and just observing my other physicians walking around in white coats and thinking about that time in my life when I spent a great deal of time as a consultant, right, walking the halls and pulling charts when there were still finders to be had. And I really think it would be sad to be in the hospital without that, (laughs) but I could make do. And that experience of being part of that ecosystem, because it really is, there's a whole culture, an environment, a community that exists within the hospital. And there are a lot of beautiful things about that. And there are moments, you know, when I sat there and observed, and even though it was a different hospital than the one in which I worked, hospitals often have right, similar vibes, energy, smells that can happen. And thought, hmm, right, do I miss being part of this? Would I like to be part of this again? And it was more of a maybe. You know, it's been a hard stop no for some time since my clinical practice, you know, paused and pivoted in different ways. I thought, you know, there are elements that really speak to me. And it's still a foundational part of who I am. I'm no, not no longer a physician, right? Double negatives there. I still identify as a physician. Absolutely. I notice when people ask me what I do, I'll often start with, I'm a physician by training and currently I coach and develop programs, right? That's kind of the narrative, the elevator pitch, if you will, of what I do, but it's always the lead. And it really is key and informative and foundational to what I do on all levels, Because as a physician, as an osteopathic physician particularly, and in my specialty, I really do see and speak to and seek the health. And that infiltrates, right? That is part of it, integrates into all the other aspects of my life. And so even when physician, and that's really because we're thinking about it in we, that's the the general we here, as the role of a clinical practice, right? a physician seeing a patient, diagnosing a patient, treating a patient, all those pieces. right? So that's seeing it in the traditional sense of the role, and that is why it would get moved toward the end of that line. But it's really paramount to the rest of what I'm doing, whether that is engaging one-on-one with a patient or teaching other physicians who are in training or medical students. Right? It's still part of all that I'm doing. But moving parent to the top of that list feels oh so important and very accurate. Seeing coach next, and I will say, coaching has even taken a little bit of a pause here in this moment, and really just as this, a reset, and a reclaiming, and a redefining, and pauses are powerful, and we can go look back to that in 2020, and you can listen to that episode, we talked about the grand pause, and the power of the pivot, and that pause, in the classical way in which I practiced medicine, is how my coaching practice was born. And it allowed for space for curriculum development and creativity and networking in new ways and a redefinition, a reapproach to who and how I was. And at the same time, it was taking those core foundational elements of seeing what is well with people speaking, seeking, treating to the health and helping people to see that they have the, the solutions within them. It was always how I practiced medicine, completely part of how I was as a physician and very naturally rolled over into my practice of coaching. My most active practice of coaching right now is in those different venues of coaching athletes and putting local programs together. And it's not necessarily coaching per se, but it has the same vibe, right? It's the name we'll use for it. Teaching yoga classes has been something that I've been doing more of lately. And while there are moments, I want to say, well, what's going on here, right? And if I'm a coach and a curriculum developer and program you know, facilitator, 
And that's not happening right now, right? Am I still a coach? Absolutely. And I will say that one, much like the cellist commentary, because probably one year in, right? You might be say you play the cello for a while and then you can say I'm a cellist. And that was pretty early for me, right? It was just such a natural relationship with the cello and all the groups I had the again, great privilege of having access to in my youth absolutely converted to I'm a cellist, right? It was really part of who I am, not just something that I'm doing. Coaching absolutely feels that way. And when I first was in the very initial session of coach training, and that was spoken, right? You help, help see what's right with people and that they have the solutions. I thought, oh, I have been a coach all along in medicine, before medicine, and how I approached life in so many ways. And so absolutely, I'm still coaching and I'm practicing patience for knowing what will emerge from this pause. And I, I know I cannot just wait, right? <laughs> My own business coach, right? It's a very active process. And at the same time, I do also recognize I can't force it. And I have to allow what is to emerge. And also be patient with timelines. We're used to a more, better, faster now. And we, again, that's me. But I hear this a lot from other people as well. We want it to happen yesterday, and we want it to happen really quickly. We want it to keep going, perpetuity, and build and build and build. And there's a lot of good things that come from acceleration and growth, absolutely. And there's a lot that comes beautifully from the waiting. I follow this really lovely local organic farm, Bear Creek Organic Farm in Petoskey, Michigan, which I always thought was much closer to Traverse City than it is, but it is proximal enough that it's accessible, but I can also enjoy, and you can as well, thanks to the gifts of social media, their posts online. And they have grown enormously from where they were, but it also happened, right? Day over day, week over week, year over year, over a decade of investment. So if you came in today, you'd say, whoa, this is amazing. And it is the epitome of how a local family run organic farm should and could be. And knowing exactly how all those pieces came into play and also how much, yes, active work is involved in that. And also thinking about the way growth happens over the course of a season. They just harvested their potatoes somewhat emergently because it got really cold really quick and now it's not so cold here, but you have to do right the right thing in the right moment, especially in farming. And it just takes time right, to plant the seeds and wait for them to grow adequately and to harvest them gently and to clean them. And there are all these steps and stages and you really can't rush it. right? If they tried to harvest the potatoes two months ago, they wouldn't have been the crop that they are today. And so taking in some of that as well, of knowing that the planting and the waiting and the nurturing of the soil and seeing all the elements come into play, right? How much moisture have we had and how much sunlight have we had? Zero, it feels like, honestly, in Northwest Michigan (laughs) over the course of the past month. And then, right, when it is time, it will emerge and it's beautiful. I think they harvested 4,000 pounds of potatoes. And to see that and to take that in, especially as a person who is a more, better, faster producer by nature. But notice, right, producer is not in that list of those things. To be with what is and to know and to trust that something beautiful and amazing is ready to emerge and it feels that way, right? That's why I'm here today. And that's the why I haven't been here for these past few months. It just hasn't felt right. And there are times you just get through the discomfort, right? You put your nose to the grindstone and you do it anyway. And absolutely. And I have many brilliant classmates, physician entrepreneurs, and that's the next one here, who do, right, diligently. And they post every day and they record every week and they put it out there. And I so 
honor that. And honoring that there are seasons in each of our lives are different when pauses are necessary might be one of the most important lessons for me to have learned in this interval. And so in the entrepreneur space, looking at what I have created, noticing as I have engaged with that word and with that practice and with so many physicians now in that space to realize, you know, I've been a cellist for almost as long, right, as I can remember. I've been a coach pretty much all that time too. Now the parenting piece, right, we can see how we're engaging with parenting the whole way. And physician, if I look at it from seeing health and helping people see what's well with them, I can see all those pieces, right? Those threads were there from the beginning and they're just simply being nurtured and manifested and expressed in these different stages of my adult life. An entrepreneur, that's really been part of me as well. And seeing those expressions early on with different ideas and proposals and just putting things out there and seeing what happens, right? That's really part of entrepreneurship. And Throughout my practice of medicine, learning about phrases like intrapreneur, I can see how when I was an employed physician in a large healthcare system, right, when I was walking those halls in that white coat in the hospital, pulling those charts from the wall carriers, oh, I lost the flow there. <laughs> I was absolutely an intrapreneur. Right? I modified our clinic and changed our work hours for the better, right? For the better of the patients and of the staff and shifted how things were done and wrote new curriculum and brought in different staff. And that was entrepreneurship. And I can see how that could be really functional. And I could look back and say, you know, I had that spirit and I probably could still be very successful in that space. However, I'm not there and that's okay. I can simply have awareness of what was already happening and that I continue to nurture. And when I went to solo private practice, that's very much entrepreneurship. And then in a small group, right, seeing how we could shift and change things there and then owning a gym, right? There's entrepreneurship in that space. And then truly, it was just, again, that same beautiful conversation today, thinking about how the coaching, because it came from nothing, right? And that, again, we can look back at the titles of the episode from this year, meaning there was no obvious foundational basis for it in so much as you know, I hadn't been a coach prior. I hadn't had just open enrollment programs prior. I had been an employee physician, then a private practice physician. I had a gym, but you could see all those pieces weaving together. And to write a program and to get CME accreditation for it and to put it out there and have physicians enroll and to do it again and have physicians enroll and to do it again and then build it on the institutional level and to keep creating that and saying, yes, and, and yes, we can do that. We can figure that out and getting a brilliant assistant to join me and having an amazing team of physicians trained as coaches to help facilitate the programs and building relationships with students and residents and attending level physicians and faculty and other physician coaches who wanted to harness what was possible in their institutions and make use of the framework we had in place that we could cultivate and customize to what they needed. That was all from scratch. And it was all from this place of taking all the pieces of who and how I was and putting them into these programs with the belief that there is a possibility of bringing health to medicine. And even that name will probably have some revamping in the future because the health, it is there, but it gets buried and it gets warped and it gets overwhelmed, right? By so many other infectious processes and traumas that happen. And I'm talking about in the practice of medicine, yes. And to be able to say, I can bring this physicianship and this parenting, and the coaching that I have, and let entrepreneurship pull it together, 
find musician. Oh yeah, we, we haven't skipped that one. We've just interwoven it through here and bring it through to the space. And from that musician arm, looking at this playing of the violin in this moment, which is somewhat fascinating, probably not ironic. That word probably is misused <laughs> more times than it should be. But I began with the violin and then converted to the cello because there was a need for more cello in the strings group I was in. And it was the best relationship ever. And I, I can't really make a true comparison because I spent many years playing the cello, right? Being a cellist and many fewer playing violin. And so I'm definitely not as good at violin. I was speaking to my daughter and I can pick up things pretty quickly at the level at which we're playing right now, but I have a cap, right? And she has much more infinite room to grow because of her age. Also because she is not right training any other instrument. We were talking about that. She's like, oh, you picked this up so much more quickly than me. And I said, well, in this moment, because, right, I've been a musician for longer. Yes, so I can sight read more easily. I'm familiar with pieces oftentimes, so I have a frame of reference. I can hear the intonation differently. So there are pieces absolutely I have an advantage. I said, but you, you know, we're probably pretty equal in our violinship right now, and you are going to be such a better musician than me. You have so much more room for growth, And she was kind of sitting with that, puzzling with that. And, you know, the beautiful thing is, right, we we all have room to grow, right? And certainly when we learn things at a younger age, it's just physiologically, biologically, neuro, psychobiologically more possible, right? The infinite greatness of our learning potential when our brain is younger, it just is. Now, we can certainly learn things and become proficient, even as adults, even as an adult who only ever picked up the violin for the first time in adulthood in their fourth or fifth decade. Absolutely, right? They can gain a lot of skill with diligence and practice and repetition. But just that sense of where we are with our natural engagement with the background that we have and with those different instruments. And so it's humbling. And I don't know that vibrato on the violin will ever happen because it really does feel like, and I shared this with a colleague with whom I played music in my youth, that it feels like you have to remove your arm and somehow put it on a different way in order to make rubato happen. Rubato on the cello feels like the most natural thing. And again, I can recognize muscle patterns that were learned in a young age, but really some, somebody, violinists, violists, talk to me <laughs> about how that can work. <clears throat> but seeing that musician background and the ability right, to read music and to hear those notes, and most importantly, to recognize resonance. I was at my son's concert last night and the grade younger than him played first. And unfortunately, one of the instruments was significantly out of tune. And I'm curious, right, in the audience, if that was palpable, aware, you know, is it audible to everyone? I'm sure it's more audible to those who have a musical background. Or there might be a sense of just, man, this group isn't good in that moment. When really it was just unfortunate the string was out of tune. And that one note, right, that one really dissonant note, can make the whole thing not seem quite right. And the director, who is brilliant, you know, I've been in so many performances myself in different groups and ensembles, and the way he facilitates for the middle school and the high school students and the repertoire he selects is truly amazing. And he handled that well because there's nothing you can do, right? You are playing and you have to wait it out. And he went and tuned the instrument after that piece and even spoke to it briefly and just moved on, right? And the next two pieces were so much different because of that resonance. And I think that is the piece of musicianship that serves me the most in all of the work that I do is seeking that resonance, being able to hear those dissonant notes and also being able to make those corrections. And now we might think, well, that's pathological, right? We're seeing the health, you're talking about wrong notes here and what does that all mean? 
but it's being able to perceive it, to deal with it, right? As the director did yesterday to make those corrections and recognize how those relationships matter and to be able to see all those contributing parts. And I really feel those are the ways that my strengths have come into play and those foundational ways of being in my life contribute to where I am now. Our athlete in here. And this one's interesting. And I have you know, been active throughout. There's really not been a day that I've missed workouts. I've participated in just a handful of races. And actually one that I didn't speak about here was a swim. And I ended the swim much sooner than it could have um, concluded. I still swam a significant uh, amount of meters, but it was not as far as I hoped. I didn't cross the finish line. And then this past weekend, and this is where the blog is coming in, so I won't put any spoilers in here, but I did put on a bib and toe the line. I actually had an age group win, which was somewhat new and unexpected for me in this current season of my life. And so that athlete piece and seeing the competitive nature that comes in there, but really the dedication, the discipline, the consistency that is part of it. And I can rely on that for myself. And as much as there have been some inconsistencies of how I've shown up in other places in my life, I reliably show up for myself with movement. And I see its role in therapeutics for me, right? that it really is a way that I process and that I regulate and I ground myself. And so knowing I am a consistent person, I can see this consistency here and then bringing that into those other spaces. Okay, if I can have that dedication and discipline with this area of my life, I can bring it into these other places as well. So seeing that and seeing how they all intertwine. And so physician we've spoken about and seeing all those different pieces. And I honestly didn't necessarily intend to talk about all those different parts of the title, but it it really does speak to me every time I read that intro and I do read it, right? It is largely committed to memory, but I like to make sure it's consistent, right? So that's the way I have it in front of me on paper, you know, virtual paper on my computer here and thinking about that foundation, And the other way this spoke to me today was because I've been playing much more violin, I had the thought, right, and it's fascinating what our brain will offer us, what if I can even play cello anymore? You can't even read bass clef, am I going to even get there and not even know what I'm doing? (laughs) Because I have to convert. My treble clef is different, and different lines and spaces mean different things on the fingerboard. And if you've been looking at that the whole time, will you just switch? And the answer for me was yes. And particularly in that direction, right, switching to bass clef, it's like falling back into your native language. So if you did live somewhere, you're an expatriate, you're speaking in a language foreign to you, you likely can still fall back. And you might have a little accent, right? But you'll fall back into your native tongue. And so reliably, if I'm feeling a little wary of my cellist capacity, I will play through a book of Suzuki. And today was book two. And just going through each one. And the familiarity, right? Just the hearing of it, the muscle memory that comes with it. And there's a soothing nature to it as well. I think back to my lessons in my youth and how much I loved them and the people with whom I had the privilege of playing and thinking about having attended Suzuki camp with my daughter and seeing that culture and that environment. And I filmed the last piece, the beret, number 12 in Suzuki book two, and maybe I'll post it. But I was first sitting on a chair in my living room, a soft chair in my living room, and the end pin of the cello was only out a little bit and I was kind of scrunched down. And I recorded it and I thought, well, that doesn't look right. And it didn't, it sounded fine, right? I mean, it doesn't sound brilliantly fine because I've barely been playing the cello. So you have to have a different bar, <laughs> different level of expectation. But I thought something's not right about that. And so I brought this bench out uh, from my dining area 
a firmer surface, a taller surface. I put the end pin out at a normal height for where it would be if I were sitting in a chair in an ensemble. And there's almost an immediate difference. The posture, the relationship to the cello, the ability to move. And thinking about that. So thinking about what is the foundation on which you are planting yourself, on which you are seated? And how does that impact your ability to project, to move, to play at your top capacity? And so noticing what we're putting in place there. And I think about that from the structure and function perspective in osteopathic medicine. So that squishy chair was not the optimals for making the function of my playing music the best it could be. And so sometimes it's you, right? Uh, It could just be, oh, I'm rusty. I don't have enough rosin on my bow, all these different pieces. And then sometimes like, you know what? And the rosin on the bow would be an external thing. I realized (laughs) ruined the example there, but it could be the skill piece, right? Could simply be, you haven't played in a while. Doesn't sound as good as it could. That's it. End of story. Then you look around, right? Rosin on the bow. That would be the external piece. The surface on which you are seated. Is this optimal? Am I setting myself up for success here? And if not, right, what firmer surface do I need to have underneath me so that I can perform at my best? And you know, sometimes you just want to sit in a soft chair and that is okay. But it also might mean that's not the time to play the cello. And I've been in a soft chair for a little while. And you know what? It's okay. Sitting and snuggling and being cozy and being kind and resting is so necessary. And to serve all of those pieces of who I am. And so for you in this moment, if you need a soft surface to snuggle, do that. And I would offer to you from that, don't try to do something that needs a firmer surface, right? And notice that need and that relationship and what you can offer for yourself. And if you're ready, right? Notice that the first step might be trying to do the thing you're doing from that soft surface, and that's okay. And then you might notice, actually, I'm going to sit up a little taller, and I want this to be a little brighter, and I want to optimize this environment so I can play at my best. And you know what? Take a break at one point, many points, and sit back in that soft chair when you need to. And maybe before you need to, when you want to. Let's practice that with ourselves for one another. So in this moment, for this osteopathic life, things are growing. I've been looking at the website, which is laying dormant, right? The blog posts, which converted themselves to Facebook posts for a long time. And I'm looking to reorient those. This podcast episode, thank you for those who have been listening consistently since season one and have waited patiently. For those who are joining in for the first time, for all my guests who have been on in the past, I have loved those conversations. And I'm sure, right, when they're ready, we will set the appropriate foundation and bring those forward as well. So for you and all of your roles, consider maybe it's just a reorientation, reintegration of which comes first. And all of them are contributing to who you are, how you are, and what you are doing. Let's set a solid foundation if we are looking to sit up, to project, and to perform at our best. And let's keep in reserve those soft chairs that call us home to rest, to relax, to reconsider, to recalibrate. And know that both are ever available, and we can choose how we make use of them. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey with This Osteopathic Life. Thank you for listening.